0: It's really exciting to see, to be back here. I think the last time I was here, Eric was getting ordained. Uh, he's not grown any shorter since that point, but he's certainly uh, causing uh, church growth at the moment. So uh, with his new little one. Uh, can, I, can I pray um, as we get into God's word together? Father, I thank you that you're the kind of God who knows us. You're the God who knows us in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. You're the one who sees us even in our mundane lives. And you're the one who watches over us and is working and weaving a bigger plan than we could ever imagine. And Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning. I pray that your word would not just be in one ear and out the other, but I pray that our hearts will be so sensitive that you would speak to us that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would help us to lift our eyes to see that you are truly the place we can run to for all of our lives and bank our, our entire lives and security on you. So I pray, Lord, as we as I speak, Lord, I pray anything that's not from me, just kind of remove that. We wanna hear from you, not from me this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Um, Actually, one of the things I was just, um, I was looking out, um, isn't this an incredible place, Tong Chong? I mean, isn't it extraordinary? So I'm just kind of looking, I was just looking over the balcony, just incredible um, view and just that that passage um, that was read about, the heavens uh, declare the glory of God and just thinking, Tong Chong declares the glory of God just in the mountains and you just see that awesomeness. And yeah, I actually thought as I was just walking here, however awesome all of that is, do you realize that actually you declare even more loudly the glory of God? Do you, that actually your lives are actually a greater demonstration of how incredible God is than even the most spectacular uh, like vistas and scenery here in Tongchong. I think that's awesome. So that's why I'm really excited to be here because God has got you here, not just for yourselves, but He's got you here for, to shine out in this place in Tongchang. So we're going to look in the, the book of Ruth. I believe you're going through a series of walking through the Bible. Um, but let me kind of start off by uh, just telling you something. I'm not sure if this is okay. Um, I usually end up eating it halfway through. So, um, But I, uh, three months ago, my daughter, my second daughter was, was born, Elodie. And, um, and about a week after birth, we were, we'd just come home and we were kind of settling in, as Eric will be finding out <laughs> very soon right now, the, the rhythm of everything that's going on. And it was 6 p.m. on a Tuesday, and we got this phone call, and it was our doctor. And the doctor said to us, listen, you need to get to the hospital immediately, because a test result has come through showing an abnormality, which actually could result in sudden death. You need to get there right now. I don't know how you'd respond when you hear that news. Like, that was just kind of your world had just got totally turned upside down. That's, that's like um, something breaking through and shattering all your plans and everything that you thought was solid and secure in one moment. Now, I'm pleased to say that, um, that actually she's fine. It was a false alarm. But actually, at those moments, when, when it feels like your world is collapsing, you start to go, God, where are you? Like, this isn't how the plan was meant to work, right? I prayed about this. You've given us a gift. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And I don't know for you, but actually, whether it's in the, the mundane, in the stress, in the, the realities of your life, whether you ask those same questions of, God, where are you? What are you up to right now? Because the book of Ruth is actually a book about both tragedy, but also redemption. It's a book about sorrow and love. It's a book about how God takes an, an ordinary family and right in the midst of their darkness, he's weaving a story where behind the scenes, he's working something that they could never have imagined in a million years. It's a beautiful story. And so I want to kind of just look through, and we're we're really going to just kind of glance over a little bit. Um, But I'm going to look in four scenes, okay, because it's a story, and stories have scenes, okay? So I'm going to look in in four scenes at this story. So the first scene is what I've called when life is bitter, okay? If you've got the text in front of you, please um, uh, kind of follow through. But I don't know if you've read Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, It's a very famous book. It starts off like this. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Ruth starts off, in the days when the judges ruled. That's the author's way of saying, this is the worst of times. Because the judges was a time where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It's a time of corruption, of greed, of injustice, of rejection of God in every way. And to kind of cap it all off, economic recession hits. And so famine comes to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem actually means the house of bread. And the house of bread has got no bread. And so this guy, Elimelech, He looks at the situation, and he goes into what most of us guys do, which is kind of problem-solving mode, and he thinks, okay, let me try and figure out a solution to this issue. Don't, Don't we kind of often do that? We actually forget about God, and we just go, okay, let me just fix this. And so what he does, he looks over the hills into Moab, and he sees that they've got food in the land just over there. And so he goes and leaves the promised land, takes his family down there, to get food. Seems perfectly reasonable, right? Except if you're an Israelite and you hear the word Moab, you're going, oh no. Because you know that the Moabites are pagans. Not just pagans, they're also enemies of Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy 23, there's this law which says, no Moabite should ever enter into the community of Israel. Why? Because they had a history of continually leading the people astray into idolatry. It's like a bad place. It's like saying, for example, to an unemployed, desperate woman, Um, who says to you, listen, I'm going down to uh, the Wan Chai Red Light District to find work. That's the kind of impression that you're going, that's a poor choice. And that's what's happening here. Poor decision. And you know, many of us actually, if we're honest, we often make poor decisions because we leave God out of the picture and the grass always looks greener on the other side, right? Well, when they get there, tragedy just strikes. Because you see, Naomi, whose name actually means pleasant, uh, finds that her life turns from pleasant to bitter. Her husband dies, and then her sons marry two pagan women. That's not good choices. And then they die, the sons die, and she's left without any male protection, without any financial security, without any sense of future for a woman in those times and in that culture. She was, to all intents and purposes, alone and suffering with no hope and just these two pagan women with her. And I don't know what you would be thinking, but actually what's going through Naomi's mind as she suddenly hears God's brought food back to Bethlehem, she starts walking over the the hills, hasn't been there for 10 years. You would have thought she'd be rejoicing, but she ain't. You see what she's doing? She says, um, when she arrives there, she says to the people who welcome her, don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Bitter. "'For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. "'I went away full, but I've come back empty.'" You see, Naomi's life, all she can see is bitterness, and her heart towards God is growing bitter too. You see, Naomi believed that her life and her security were all determined by her husband and her sons. And that kind of made sense in the culture. That's where her security lay. But she knows that God is sovereign. He's in control. And God has taken away the most precious things to her right at this moment. Her husband and her sons. And as God has stripped away her security, she feels like her life is over. She's got nothing left. I don't know if I was to ask you, what in your life, if it was actually stripped away from you, would cause you to start getting bitter towards God? What would actually cause you to feel like your life was over? I mean, what if I said, hey, you'll never earn any more money than you do today? What if I said you'll never ever get to go on another holiday? I mean, some of us have felt that pain over the last uh, year or so. What if I said, actually, your kids will never get into that school you want, or you'll never get married, or the dream that you have will never come to pass? Would that disappoint you, or would that crush you? Because you see, even for us, as we had a daughter, it felt like at that moment, maybe God was stripping away our daughter. Man, it's not a great feeling, right? And I don't know how many of you have been stripped of things in your past, in your lives. Even now you're feeling like there's, there's something you're empty. There's something missing. And sometimes it's because of our sin. Sometimes it's because of other people's sin and the way they've impacted us. Sometimes it's just life. But when the clouds roll in, we all have a choice of what we can do. We can either stay in Moab or we can run to God. We can run into him, or we can run away away from him. We can grow bitter, or we can learn to trust. These are the moments when God strips us, not to be cruel to us, but strips us to show us his kindness. But Naomi can't see any of that. All she can see is the clouds of her life. It's just a misery pity party for her. But she doesn't realize that scene two is here where God's smile is there behind the clouds. So this is the second thing. So that's the first thing, when life is bitter. Second scene, God's smile behind the clouds. You see, Naomi thinks she's empty. She thinks she's got nothing. She doesn't realize that standing right next to her is Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who is a Moabite, a foreigner, a pagan, somebody who you would have thought if you're an Israelite is trouble. But actually what Naomi does, she tries to persuade her, hey, listen, don't waste your life on a, like a, a 50-something has-been who's got no future. Just go back to your gods, get another husband, get a life over there. Don't worry about me, forget about me. But it says, Ruth clung to Naomi. And that word clung is actually the same word in Genesis where it says a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave, cling, join with his wife and they'll become one flesh. It's the same word. What he's saying is Ruth is saying, I'm going to invest my heart, my soul, my life into you, Naomi. You see, she says this. This is an incredible, uh, uh, incredible verse. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Sounds like a wedding vow, doesn't it? (laughs) And and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Just, I mean, that's awesome. Like, I don't know who you've ever said that to. But Ruth is sacrificing everything. Everything. She's going to this strange land where she knows she's a foreigner. She isn't welcome there at all. She's... Rejecting all her marriage prospects because a foreigner's not going to get much, uh, many opportunities there. Literally, she's destining herself to a life of singleness, a life of poverty, a life of rejection. And she's doing it all out of love for Naomi. Isn't that incredible? And yet, Naomi, all she can see is the bitter clouds. She can't see the love that is being shown here. And isn't it surprising often that God just does surprising things? I mean, it's the the least likely person, the least likely thing you would ever expect to happen would be that a Moabite, an enemy of Israel, just like you know in the good Samaritan story, it's the Samaritan who's the enemy, that actually it's the very person you don't think will be any help at all, is the very person who not just comes with Naomi, she also says, and this is the key thing, your gods will be my God. In other words, she's converting and turning to the God of Israel and saying, I'm going to find my trust and my confidence here. And in doing that, I'm going to love you and lay down my life for you. Naomi can't see it. She can't see that actually God is doing something and be drawing the nations to himself, even through this and providing for Naomi. So I don't know about you. If you're anything like me, I so often get wrapped up in all the things that I don't have. And I don't see the things that I do have. Anyone like me? You know, you see the whole, but not the donut. Do you know that phrase? You see, we look at our circumstances and sometimes we look at things that maybe we feel empty and stripped of, and we, we have a whole load of a, the, the darkness comes over us, but we miss who is with us. We miss that actually, we have a greater Ruth, that Christ is with us. We don't just have somebody who's just left a, a few kind of a, a, a homeland and is sacrificing marriage prospects. We have the one who is the king of all of heaven who has left his throne and has sacrificed everything to be with us on the cross. We deserve to be left in Moab, but actually he doesn't just die for us like a couple of thousand years ago. He says every day today, I will be with you and I am determined. You're not going to kind of fob me off. You're not going to push me away. I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. You see, if you're struggling with your circumstances right now, I don't know what's going on in your lives. But don't we often go, God, where are you? If you were good, sometimes we don't say this, we just think it. If you were good, then you would da 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 right? But Jesus says, hey, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where you go, I will go. And we go, yeah, but it's not fair. Like, that person's got life so much easier than I've got it, Right? And Jesus says, Nothing can separate you from my love. Where you should die, I have died already for you. I'm more determined to walk with you through whatever circumstances throughout your life, whatever you're going through, than even you are. I'm not going to back down. I love you. And so the call that comes through this passage is don't let bitterness strangle your soul. Whether it's because of your marriage, whether it's because of your work, whether it's because of your kids, look up and see that there is a greater Ruth who is there with you and is saying, Do you see me? And will you trust me? Will you stay bitter or will you trust him? Now that's great, but the story doesn't even end there. Because Ruth and Naomi, and we can, they have each other. But they're going to this place where actually, uh, as a, a, a woman uh, in that culture, the husband's land doesn't actually belong to her. And so she's going, they're both going back to nothing. They don't know where their support's going to come from. And Ruth doesn't really have a lot of street cred in Israel either. So their future is uncertain. And sometimes even when we're following Christ, we go, yeah, I'd like Jesus, but I don't know about actually some of this practical stuff in my future life. Well, scene three god's sovereign kindness see this is uh, we didn't read this part but actually uh, i'm going to just go through the story a little it's um the beginning of the barley harvest food god's brought food and if you're actually in a subsistence farming society that is amazing it's not like just going down to park and shop this is amazing and ruth goes out like a poor beggar to get dinner and she's trying to grab just any any bits of grain that have been left after the harvesters uh, have gone. And actually, this is it's called gleaning. This is backbreaking work, and it's dangerous for a young woman. This is like hashtag Me Too kind of can easily happen. Plenty of room for that. But do you notice? I don't know if, how long you may have been following Jesus, but do you notice that in your life, if you've actually put your weight and trust on Jesus? Coincidences just start happening. Anyone ever seen that? It's like I became a pastor. I mean, I could tell a long story. One of the reasons I became a pastor was because my day off while I was teaching just happened to be on a Tuesday, and the staff team uh, meeting at Watermark happened to just be on a Tuesday, and actually, I got invited to the staff team, and the rest was history. Now, What happens here? Ruth, what field does she get into? She just happens to end up in Boaz's field. And Boaz happens to be pretty much the only godly Israelite in the whole of Israel. And Boaz happens to notice little tiny Ruth just over in the corner. He could have been busy just doing his accounts or something but he just happens to notice, and Boaz just happens to be a wealthy relative of Naomi. Just happens. And Boaz sees Ruth and he says to his staff, protect her, look after her, give her water. In fact, give her extra grain, provide for her. Now, Ruth doesn't have a clue what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. But Ruth, once Boaz comes to her, She, unlike Naomi, she sees the grace that she's receiving. This is beautiful. She says, when Boaz finally comes, she says, why have I found favor? That's the word grace in Hebrew. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You see, Ruth, husband's died, she's childless, she's isolated, she's working like a dog just to make ends meet. If I were her, I'd be like, man, my life sucks. I mean, it's hot in Israel. Man, it's hot at the moment. Do you want to go out in the fields in the middle of the day in this? I'm out there for 30 seconds and I'm like complaining. But she's not having a pity party like Naomi. Why? Because she knows she doesn't deserve anything. She's not entitled to anything. And so the kindness that she receives, she sees it as grace, a gift. You see, entitled people never see grace. They always see what they thought they deserved. But people who know their need of grace see it everywhere. You see, Boaz replies, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." What's he saying? He's saying Ruth has left everything, trusting in God, but not knowing how on earth he was going to provide. Along the way, she's banked everything on him, and God's come through in amazing style as her refuge. He's totally faithful. I don't know, has any, any of you ever been to Scotland? Anyone? Okay, one person. Great. We can talk afterwards. But Scotland, the weather is terrible. Like, it is It is freezing cold. It is wet, even in summer. It's horrific. And, um, and when you're hiking, I mean, it's beautiful, but horrific. Um, but when you're hiking in the mountains, I mean, it's like... I don't know why people do it. It's like torture, you know, it's like freezing cold rain and wind, everything coming at you. But there are these little stone huts, which they call boffies. And as you're walking along and you see one in the corner, it's like heaven just opened up. And you run to this this little stone hut, you run inside out of the cold and you just go, oh, because that's where you find that's a refuge. But the thing is, if you think that you can just kind of tough it out by yourself, what's gonna happen? You're gonna be like, rely on yourself. You're gonna be out there, you're like, this is miserable, this is I can not do it. This is miserable. And you're gonna get bitter. You're gonna get complaining because life just doesn't work. And you're never gonna come into the refuge if you think you can rely on yourself to get, it, to get through. You know, you'll feel entitled to the blessings that you have because you earned it, but you won't see grace and you'll just complain when things don't go your way. And bitterness will eat you alive, actually, when we're self-reliant. But if your heart recognizes, just like Ruth, that Jesus, I can't deal with my life by myself. I need a refuge. I need, a, I need someone to help me in my circumstances because they're too big for my own shoulders. Do you know what Jesus does? He gives you a refuge. He gives you a place to run. He gives you eyes to see grace everywhere instead of entitlement. You know, when, my, when we had that phone call with my daughter, I had nowhere to run except into the arms of a God who I know is both gracious and sovereign and good. And do you know in that moment of just real torment, I, f- I discovered peace. There is peace in the storms when you have a refuge like Ruth found. Under his wings, today you can find peace. Will you trust him? Will you run to him? Scene one, when life is bitter. Scene two, God's smile behind the clouds. Scene three, God's kindness, his sovereign kindness. He provides, he's faithful. Final scene, God's great redemption because it would be a great place to end there, isn't it? Boaz is just giving some handouts and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's great, but the story doesn't end there. I just love it. God always expands things beyond what you expect because God hasn't finished his redemption story in Ruth. Do you know, um, chaos theory says that a butterfly flapping its wings in Mexico can cause a hurricane in China. Do you know when God, when we trust in God, our ordinary little lives, the poor choices, the mistakes, the sins we've done, when we turn to him, God can redeem all of that and lead it to a ripple effect which has eternal consequences and significance. Do you know that? And he can do that with your life and with mine. And this is what Ruth tells us because Ruth is ultimately a story of redemption. And redemption, when we think of redemption, we think air miles. But Ruth and Israelites, when they thought redemption, they thought of inheritance and future. You see, if a man became so poor that he had to sell off his land, redemption said the first in line to buy his land should be a relative so that the land doesn't go outside of the family. It also said, if there's a childless widow in the family, she should not be left vulnerable and exposed and unprotected and without a family line, but the brother of her husband should marry her and provide children so that there is a future and an inheritance to continue the family name. But actually, in the book of Judges and at the time of the Judges, wealthy men disregarded what the law said because they just wanted their own financial security for themselves. You don't want to take on another woman in your household because that costs money. And, you know, they can get sex from prostitutes and other things. They're they're not going to go anywhere else. They're not going to think about sacrificing themselves to support somebody who's vulnerable. But Boaz is different. This is the amazing thing in this story, Boaz is different. He sees Ruth, who's this outsider, no future, no inheritance, nothing to offer, destined to be a nobody, and he agrees to redeem her, to marry her. And in that moment, when he, this wealthy guy who's got standing and status in society, when he marries Ruth, do you know what happens to Ruth? She goes from being a nobody to a somebody. She goes from being an outsider to being an insider. She goes from being dishonored to having the highest honor in the village. She goes from having no future to having an utterly secure future and an inheritance. And it gets even better because they have a child. They have a child. It says, she gives birth to a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Hmm, interesting. You see, Boaz is her redeemer, but what happens through the story? Who's in Naomi and Ruth's family line? King David, who, if you don't know, just happens to be like the greatest king of Israel, and who, if you don't know, just happens to be the predecessor and in the family line of who? Uh, Let's say a little louder. Good, it's the Sunday school answer. You're never going to go wrong in church if you say Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Matthew 1, the genealogy of where Jesus comes from, his family tree. Who's in there? Moabite, pagan, outsider Ruth. Don't you just love how God works? And you see, we're reading her story today, 3,000 years later. You see... Because of Jesus, Christ is not just Boaz. He's a greater Boaz. He's a greater redeemer for us. Society tells you that if you want to be somebody, you've got to perform. You've got to measure up. You've got to have certain standards, certain kind of work, certain kind of you know, salary, certain kind of marital status, all those other things. That's what society around tells us. The gospel says something different. The gospel says it's more connected about who you're connected with than who you are in and of yourself. Because if you are connected with Jesus, the great redeemer of all, then your your honor just went through the roof your future just went through the roof because you now have a redeemer who knows your bitterness, who knows the poor choices you made, who knows your shame, who knows your guilt, who knows everything about you, even more than you know, and yet he has been both ruth to you, sacrificing everything for you, but he's also Boaz to you. He's the one who comes alongside and says, you need never fear because I am with you and I will provide for you. And I have a kingdom plan and purpose and vision for your life. Will you trust me today? Because if you do, you don't realize, but there are layers upon layers upon layers of the redemption story that I'm working, that even if you think your life is really mundane, listen, I take ordinary things and I do extraordinary things with them. Are you willing to be placed in that position? Some of you have been in Moab for too long some of you, you know that your sin, you've just been continuing staying in Moab. And some of you actually think your sin disqualifies you in some way from actually God truly using you in your life. The story of Ruth says, no, there is a redeemer. There is no sin too great for redemption. But he says, come out of Moab and come to me today and just watch what I'll do even with your greatest mistakes. Some of you, have got bitterness in your hearts. Life's been difficult, whether it's with family, whether it's with work, whether it's actually with God and something He's allowed in your life. God doesn't want you to stay in a prison of bitterness any longer today, because the reason why is He wants to bring you into a new life. But if you stay like Naomi, focus like this, you're going to miss His grace. You're going to miss the freedom that He wants for you. And God says to you, come and open up, maybe to Eric or one of the elders or a friend here, don't go another day allowing bitterness to eat away at your heart because it's a disease like a cancer. But God wants freedom for you today because his kindness is great, way greater than you realize. Some of you may be suffering. You're just struggling in life. The book of Ruth tells you, There is a god who sees you who notices you who has not left you who has not abandoned you who wants to walk with you through this will you hold on to him will you stop listening to the judgments of everybody else over you and start listening to his judgments which are his grace and his mercy and his arms are open wide to give you a future and an inheritance Let me pray for us. Maybe just before I pray, I'd like you actually to think about where you are, like today, even in that story, which of the characters do you resonate with? Where is your heart towards God? Are you running into Him as your refuge? Or do you know that actually you're just relying on yourself and coming up with your self solutions to your problems? Are you feeling just down, just wondering where God is? Just want you to take a minute just to actually speak to God right now, just in the quiet of your heart, under your breath. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to actually just open up your hands just as a sign of saying, God, I I want to run into you today. I want to run into you as my refuge. Take this from being a theory in my head to really a deep-seated trust in my life that I know, that I know, that I know that you are faithful and I can truly bank my life on you. Father, I thank you that you are way better than we realize. You're way more gracious, that you're way more compassionate, that you're way more powerful to even take our little lives and to use them for significant purposes. Lord, forgive us where we have shrunk our world down to just our own vision of what we think life should be. Open our eyes, expand our hearts, show us more of who you want us to be, who you're calling us to, how you're calling us to trust you today. I pray that this church will be a church which is so filled and flooded with a real deep faith, no matter the circumstances, that the people around in Tongchong will see that there is a God in heaven who is way more gracious than they realize, and that pagans would come just like Ruth does and find a place of refuge in this community under the wings of a gracious Savior. Please, Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.